Hello, everybody. Welcome back uh, to the Keep It Simple podcast. If you're watching this, uh, you've caught up with us for episode 11, and this is one that I have been waiting on. So uh, on today's uh, episode, we have my very dear friend, Kathy Atkins. Uh, Kathy is one in a million uh, in so many ways. Uh, she is a, a wife. Uh, she is a mother. Uh, she is a professional um, an award-winning professional in many realms, um, and she is a pastor. Um, she's an incredible friend, uh, faithful to the core, uh, and in a world full of takers, uh, Kathy Atkins is a giver. And uh, so I am blessed beyond belief to call her friend. And Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Can I just keep that little section and record it and play it over and over again for myself when I need? Yes, <laughs> yes, you it can. <laughs> yep, it will. It will be. Um, <laughs> it will stand. Uh, it'll be available, and you can just loop it. Uh, every word is true. Um, yeah, what a gift to call you friend um, for real. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for making time. I'm sure it'll come out in this episode, but you are probably the busiest person I know. And uh, so to, to make time to come on and, uh, and to share and give, uh, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Anytime. You're one of those people, Ben, that anything you ask me to do, I'm there. So yeah. Well, so Somebody else can I, be the judge of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess a good place to start would be maybe just um, kind of uh, talk through how you and I know one another, maybe where our cross, uh, paths cross kind of how the Lord has worked in and through our friendship. That might be a great launching place. You know, I think it's funny how God sets up relationships and they come full circle over time because I think you met my daughters before you met me. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> that was a relationship through, um, was it North Carolina? Yeah, Hinton. Hinton. Yeah, we were in mm -hmm. Hayesville, North Carolina. We were, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was at uh, Locust Grove Church, where you now pastor. We went yeah. there for 20, oh gosh, 20 years more, more than that even, because our kids grew up in that church, and they mm -hmm. were on a youth group mission trip. Caitlin was, anyway, my older mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And um, our youth group connected with your youth group, and it was a match made in heaven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was actually, believe it or not, Tim Rost was that. Mm -hmm. So the way that story went down is every morning early, like early 5, 5.30, there were only two people on the back porch of that retreat center drinking coffee, and it was Tim and me. And anybody that knows Tim knows that, you know, if, if there's only two people on the porch, he, and he's one of them, he's going to come and engage and, um, you know, and, and interact. And we hit it off quickly and. Uh, your kids, y'all's y'all's group and our group just just mashed. The adults mashed. The the students mashed. It was um, unusual, uh, very very unusual, but in a beautiful way. Yeah, yeah. Those relationships uh, were deep, and they've stayed. They've stayed steadfast, and that's been man. I don't know how ten years ago or so or more. I would imagine, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, twenty eleven. Um, 
so whatever the math is on that 12 years i guess yeah uh would have been about that time and then i guess the first time i met you and aaron um would have been when uh, Jim Seahorn, remember mm-hmm. we flew up and, and General Seahorn gave a talk over in the Hearn Center, the big basketball gymnasium. Um, that was quite the event. It was sponsored by VU. And mm-hmm. um, uh, the I remember, wasn't like the Mizzou wrestling team there and the football team. And Oh gosh, we had sure. a huge crowd for that. And that was all, I mean, that was, that memory came up on my Facebook, not just a couple weeks ago or so. It has really, yeah. We're in yeah. the season when that kind of happened, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Caroline Freeman. I don't know if you remember CB, but Caroline Freeman was on that trip. She and her dad and Seahorn and I are the ones that came up and, mm-hmm. Um, she sent me a message just the other day that was uh, pictures from that. And it was 11 years ago that day, whatever day she sent it. So it's pretty cool. Um, I think about that often, you know, when I go to do hospital visits, um, I pull in and the Hearn Center is right across from, um, the university hospital. And so when I make that corner and see the Hearn Center, I, I recall that very often, you know, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was our first time to middle Missouri to Midway for sure. Um, and who would have, who would have thought, uh, you know, you talk about relationships and the way God works through relationships, who would have thought all these years later, we would be connected the way we are and serving alongside each other and mm-hmm. in ministry, the way that we are and, just pretty cool the way God works. You never know. You really never know. Those relationships are awesome. I remember one of the times you came up to speak to our youth group, there was a couple of days where you did came up and did some sessions for the youth group. And the ones that stand out to me in particular was the time that we went back in the fellowship hall and had communion mm-hmm. because you enjoy doing communion differently. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. And I'll never forget those times where we got to kneel across from each other and serve somebody communion and pray with them. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful, intimate experience that was. And yeah. I think there were a lot of sweet relationships that came from that too. Yeah. So, I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember was, that now. There was healing that took place. Yeah. In those. Yeah. Because your youth group, you met in the annex, right? Mm-hmm. So what's now twice blessed is where youth was. That's where you all did youth. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So we did those evening sessions. I remember that now. Yeah, we would do the evening sessions there and then come up to the fellowship hall for communion. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Pretty cool. So now, um, so let's talk about bivocational ministry. So that's one thing that's super unique. Uh, so far, this is episode 11. We're still pretty fresh, pretty new into this, but um a lot of the folks, my friends, who have come on are either in vocational ministry or have been in vocational ministry and have stepped away and are doing other work, but are still very, very active servants in their local churches. Um, uh, the really cool thing is you are the first of my friends, and there'll be others, but you're the first of my friends to come on who who is actually in bivocational ministry. So you have a full-time regular career, mm-hmm. uh, secular career, and are doing full-time um, ministry, uh, pulpit, uh, pastoral ministry. 
let's let's talk about that a little bit. How a how did you end up where you are? B how do you manage and juggle all of that? Um, I think that'd be a great place to kind of kick off. Sure, I when I was at Locust Grove where you're at now, I did a lot of pulpit supply training to help. A fill in for pastors who were on vacation or needed to step away for a period of time or whatever, okay. um, and even help do training for others who wanted to step into that role at the different the district level. And so, my background, because of my background in speaking, and um, I, I, it's just a passion. I love mm-hmm. I love it. I love doing that. I wasn't born with the the fear of getting up in front of people. I just I yeah. love it. It fuels me, and. So through that experience was, uh, and then also through the business that I worked in, founded a relationship with um, a group of people in Ashland, where my church is at now. They were going Mm -hmm. through some transitions. And one of the ladies that I knew from my secular career called to ask if I could come down and help out. And so, of course, I'm thinking, yeah, sure, I fill in all the time here and there. So I'll be happy to come down and help you out once or twice. Yeah. (laughs) That was How six, long ago was that? That was six years ago. <laughs> six years. I, I told y'all she was a giver. I tried to tell you. Um, six years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's been wow. beautiful. It's been, it's been beautiful. It's it's done so much for me. You know, I heard the statement said, and I can't remember who exactly said it. It might have been Bill Johnson, but he said, "I don't study to teach. I study to learn." What feeds mm. me feeds them. And wow. I have grown so much <laughs> in the last six years. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. it, it, um, I, uh, wow. Um, the opportunity to grow in my relationship with God and see things open up has been just beautiful. Yeah. Um, there are parts of being a bivocational pastor that are wonderful mm-hmm. that I wouldn't trade for anything. Mm-hmm. And there are parts that are absolutely horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. don't know. So let's start with the wonderful. Let's 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 unpack that a little bit. Talk through the wonderful parts of bivocational ministry. Well, I, Aaron, my husband, and I serve down there together. And one of the things that we've talked about that has been so nice about being um not in full-time pastoral role is it has created an environment where the church has to step up and be the church. Wow. And so that was an expectation from the beginning. In fact, we moved midstream from one side of town to the other side of town. And there were a few people down there that said kind of, you know, wistfully, why don't you move to Ashland? And Aaron and I kind of thought about it and prayed about it. And, and the answer was, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it. And, and the reason is because of what I just said. We wanted the church to be the church. I think sometimes there's a dependence on, you know, I'm a consumer. I go to church and I, I consume the worship and I either like it or I don't. And then I go home. And mm-hmm. if things don't get done, people point to the pastor and why didn't you do that? And um, we decided that the worst thing that we could do for that church would be to move to Ashland because 
they, the, because of the transition they went through, they needed to learn, number one, they were pulling out of the denomination, becoming mm. a non-denominational, which means they had the blessing of being able to wrestle with the articles of faith on their own rather than being mm -hmm. handed them. Mm -hmm. They had to struggle through it on their own <clears throat> and they had to decide this is what we believe and this is why we believe it, which is a beautiful thing. And they also had to step up and be the church. And we didn't want to create an environment that just put them right back into the box that they just came mm -hmm. out of and mm -hmm. give them the opportunity to grow on their own like they needed to. Yeah. Have they? Have they taken that challenge and stepped into those things? Uh, yes. Yes. <clears throat> wow. Not 100%. You're always going to sure. have a few that just right. decide, you know, this isn't for me. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, mm -hmm. And to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. But that's human nature, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the beautiful side. Any other beautiful parts and pieces? I'm sure there are. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are. That was the one that came to mind first. Yeah. So. And so then what about the, what about on the negative side? So the, you said there's beautiful and not so beautiful parts and pieces to buy vocational ministry. What would be some of the downside that you just lived experience? Um, you know, the, the downside is trying to get everything done and trying to yeah. judge. There's no... There, you know, there's no compartmentalization. There's no, because everything bleeds into everything. And I, you know, I, I have a job to do. I work for an advertising agency and it is demanding yeah. and I am learning new roles and I'm responsible for team and I have, you know, goals and expectations and, and goals for clients that I have to meet. And, and I'm doing that. And my phone, you know, one morning there were 47 text messages and, yeah. and you know, it's, and it's not just, it's not just the church. It's, it's my kids and it's oh, yeah. my mom. Yeah. We moved next yeah. door to my mom so that we could take care of my mom after my dad passed away in 2019. And um, I just feel like sometimes my head's going to pop off. <laughs> yeah. And I can vouch for that. So for those of you listening, Kathy and I meet for coffee every other Monday. Um, and yesterday was one of those Mondays and uh, we were together, I don't know, roughly an hour maybe. And just in the time we were together, there were 17 texts. Uh, as we were parting, you know, you kind of woke your phone up and took a look. You're like, look, set there's 17 text messages in an hour. Um, so I can vouch for that downside. Um, so are you a regimented rhythm person or are you more spontaneous? So do you talking about juggling your full-time job, um, in advertising, marketing, uh, and your pastoral role, do you, are you kind of a regimented person or are you a, whatever fires right in front of you, you do the best you can with what you got? How do you roll? Um, you know what? I have to say probably a little bit of both. I would, okay. I would like to be a little more regimented than I really am. Mm -hmm. Um, I am regimented to a degree because that's kind of what helps. But at the same mm -hmm. time, you know, my employer is beautiful because they give me the flexibility of somebody, if I need to run up to the hospital, I just go, you know, yeah. they don't, they don't question. I get my job done. You know, I, sure. it's beautiful to have that kind of, of, of work environment. And, 
Um, like today, I, I ran down to meet with somebody for a funeral that I'm doing on Sunday. And so mm-hmm. that kind of flexibility is great. Um, but it also requires to, a little bit of planning. If I if I completely flew by the seat of my pants, I think I'd be underwater pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah. And that, um, knowing you and knowing uh, your commitment to excellence, so you don't do anything halfway so to keep all those balls in the air while being a wife, while being a mother, while being a daughter, um, whew, man, oh man. Um, so um, tell, tell us, because uh, I don't know a lot of your story. I know a lot of your story from a certain point in time forward. Um would you be willing just to share kind of some of your story where you've come from kind of the evolution and growth in your faith, uh, how God incrementally has worked in your life to kind of bring you to where you are. Uh, And you can start at any point. You can go back as far as you choose. Sure. I, um, my background is I grew up in church. I've been in church since I was a little kid. I was baptized as a Catholic when I grew up with, going to church every single Sunday with my mom and had to wear a dress in the whole nine yards and wow. um, went to Catholic grade school. So I was in church every Sunday morning, six days a week um, and loved it. I loved the, um, I loved the customs and I loved the tradition and I loved, you know, just the habit that you get to create and all of that mm-hmm. I felt was very beautiful. And I, I had a good solid upbringing Um my husband was born and raised Southern Baptist, and so you get a Catholic and a Baptist together. Ooh, you gotta find, yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta find somewhere to go. Oh. <laughs> so we found a home in the Methodist Church, and that's where we raised our kids. And then when our kids um, went to school, we found a, a private school for them in the Lutheran Church. Okay. And so they went to grade school in a Lutheran church. So if there's an enter, if there's yeah. a renter's card requirement for heaven, I probably have one. <laughs> problem. I got got them all. I always tell people I'm a denominational mutt. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but, but at one point when I was in, um, we, when we were at Locust Grove, I remember Aaron and I were going through some really, really difficult period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of strain physically, um, illnesses in the family financially, um, there was a period of time where I lost, we lost our 18-year-old nephew suddenly. He yeah. had a heart attack. Um, I had a cancer scare, job loss, financial. That was in 2008. I owned a business and everything. I mean, just it just felt like the world was crashing in. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting at church and telling God, look, if this is nothing more than a self-help section, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm ready to walk away because I need mm-hmm. you. And I don't know if you're real. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hard. And yeah. he sh- and I'm telling you, that's what changed everything. Yeah. He showed up. Yeah, I've been there where you're like, where you're crying out and you're like, Jesus, I've, I've spent a great deal of my adult life telling people about you. And, and I need you. Like, you got to show up. Yeah. What a, what a, I mean, you don't wish for those seasons, but what a beautiful place, you know, where it's like, I, I teach this stuff. I preach this stuff. I read this stuff. 
I eat and drink and sleep and breathe this stuff, but now the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And and you got to show up. So that was 08 for you. Yeah. Yeah, I sat in that sanctuary and I cried for an hour. I couldn't quit. Wow. I couldn't quit. Wow. And um, he showed up, man. I don't know what else to tell you. He showed up. And how? And, what? What? What does that look like? What does his? What did his showing up look uh, like? I. It was the first time that I had an abst- actual Holy Spirit experience, and I learned that he's real. Okay. <laughs> He's absolutely real. It's not just something you read about. It's not some fairy tale. It's not some mm-hmm. good book that just helps you live a good life. Yeah. He's real. He's absolutely So what was real. that li- what was that like? That moment, the Holy Spirit moment and that kind of um that mo- that aha when you know that you know uh what was that like for you? We were going through a Bible study at the time with uh, Judith and Francis McNutt and the Christian Healing Ministries, and we were okay. learning all about the gifts of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I wasn't raised with any of that stuff. I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, thought it was a little cuckoo, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 I do, yeah. <laughs> and we're sitting in a circle, and we're supposed to be praying for um, the Holy Spirit to come fill us. <laughs> ben, this is going to be weird, man. No, it's we're, not at all. Let it, let it roll. We're, 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 we're supposed to be praying for this, and I am literally on the edge of my seat. And there were, I don't know how many times I almost stood up, almost walked out. I'm like, I'm. this is weird. This is stupid. I am done. People, a bunch <laughs> of freaks. I'm out of here. Yeah, this is, yeah. And it was one of those, and something made me just stay. And so it got done, and I thought, I'm, I'm leaving. I get out in my car. I'm headed home. I'm on my way home. And all of a sudden, what comes out of my mouth sounded like E-I-E-I-O. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. That's about the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. Yes. I go home. I crawl in bed, and I wake up in the middle of the night just with this this prayer language coming out of my mouth. Um, I woke up from a dead sleep, this warmth in my heart. Um, and it's like he, he knows I'm hyper-analytical. I mean, I analyze data all day long, right? I, yeah, it's yeah. like he had, okay, when she goes to sleep, her brain will finally be shut down enough mm-hmm. that I can circumvent the wiring that I gave her. It's beautiful, but I got to bypass it mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I can get to her heart because that's what's open. Wow. It was... I, and, and, and that's when I started having these experiences and it changed completely. Mm-hmm. I had a dream uh, right in that same time period. And I dreamed that I was at church and I came out and I um, was uh, seeing a lady in the church sitting next to a man. This man was a long straggly hair, black, kind of reminded me of some kind of maybe a homeless guy or something. And she okay. was sitting next to him praying. And I had seen him in my dream walking around the church and she was sitting next to him praying. And I thought, well, I'll go help her. So I walked down the aisle in my dream and I sit down next to her and I start praying as well. And he rolls his head over to me and looks at me in the eye and he goes, I don't like you. Mm. And I go, I don't like you either. (laughs) Yeah. And then the next thing you know, I woke, I, I um, had this um, vision where um, I, my eyes were open. I was in my bedroom, but what I could see above me was um, what looked like black birds circling. 
Mm-hmm. And I wasn't afraid. wasn't that kind of dream. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it was, um, for me, it was telling me that there has been, I don't know. The enemy has had free reign in the churches and it was an opportunity for me to step up and address it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't scary. It was just this insight, this knowledge, um, and out of that came my life verse is Hosea 4, 6. And my What's pe- that say? My people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Everything changed after that. I just, you know, you, you, I would start sitting in church and it was like these words would just burn in my chest. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I remember praying to God either give me a platform or take it away. Yeah. Cause I can't, I can't sit here and do nothing. Yeah. That the, the phrase I use for that moment is you, from that moment forward, you are ruined for ordinary life. Like I've spent 15 years or whatever it is of my life, 16 years of my life trying to articulate and communicate that moment. Um, to encourage people and 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 try to um share with people that there's more and when you when you have these moments so to be quite honest there's this kind of am i losing my mind i mean i don't know if you felt that way but in those moments early on for me it's like okay the cheese has finally slipped off the cracker like for all (laughs) For all these years, you know, through the bullfights and all these wacky, just insane things that I was doing with my life and people are like, that dude's crazy. And you're like, ah, not really crazy. People don't last at anything. And then you end up in these holy moments, these sacred moments of grace. And it's so unnatural which I guess would define supernatural. If something's not natural, then it would, might, might fall under supernatural. And as you begin into that realm, it is, there is that moment and it's like, am I, is there a glitch? You know, like, am I, has the cheese slipped off the cracker? And, and God is so faithful in those moments to circle right back through scripture, through prayer, uh, through vision while awake, uh, through dreams while asleep, through another believer uh, yeah. that kind of take takes one to know one, um, through the, the, the elders, the wise, those that have been in the trenches for longer than you and I have been alive, that can see the aura they can see the spirit in and around you and and it's, it's that kind of take takes one to know one moment and then they come and they begin to affirm right they begin to speak that life and to affirm you know this is what i see in you this is what i i, I sense or hear or feel uh for you and um yeah, so that was 08 for you. 
Yeah, right around in there. And man, it just happens. It, from there on, it was just light speed. I remember telling God, I'm like, okay, don't go anywhere, but just give me a break a minute, man. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> just let me physically, mentally, emotionally catch up because you're running mm -hmm. and I'm like, feel like I'm being drugged behind the car. Just whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> because it's people like, think I'm kooky. I think I'm kooky. <laughs> yeah, and that's what non-kooky people don't understand. So for all of you people out there that are non-kooks and you're listening to this, maybe in real time, maybe right this moment, you're listening to this and you're like, these two are weirdos. Like you're reaching right now for the whatever button to flick or twist or whatever. We get it. Like it, it, as you're living it, it's in this, you talk about bivocational one foot in this and one foot in that, even as a kook, as you're living this stuff out, there's still the human or carnal physical, whatever you want to put to it. There's still that for me, it's cynical. It's that cynicism. Um, that's always you were talking about your life verse you know mine's mark 9 23 and 24 where the guy comes to jesus says if you can blah 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 and jesus says what do you mean if i can all things are possible if a person believes which is 23 and then 24 the man right back to jesus says i do believe but help me overcome my unbelief and that's one thing that I love about you. And I, so far, bar none, the people who have been on this podcast, um, there is the authenticity in the relationship with one another and with God to say, okay, like I own the kookiness. I get it. I've been in it long enough. I'm comfortable with it. I own it. But then there's also this piece and part that says, I do believe, but help me overcome my un belief mm -hmm. do you do yeah you because i man all the time i preach a sermon series on doubt because what's so crazy about it is i preached it because i have it and, and what's right. so beautiful about it is jesus never beat anybody up for their doubt right he never condemned anybody he's just like bring yeah. it to me yeah. bring it to yeah, me yeah. because because when you bring me your doubt man that's like the platform for breakthrough mm -hmm. i i can work with doubt <laughs> let's talk yeah. about it you know yeah 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 I, I got a text from a friend just the other day and i won't go into details but the gist was i do believe but i doubt you know and am i doomed basically was the gist of the text and i'm like no mm -mm. and he's like but i've heard you say like romans 10 9 if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and I can I confess with my mouth, but my heart is lagging sometimes, you know, this unbelief. And I'm like, go, you know, in the text, there's never a time where Jesus thumps a person. No. Um, Let me read and, you something. I got a download at church the other day during worship. And because it fits in with what I was been talking about. And I wrote it down really fast. And what it is, what, what I... But like I heard is this, and it says, faith feeds on faith. Go to God with what you have. Mm. It is okay to say, God, I don't have the faith for that. Mm. It's not okay to reduce him to fit your beliefs. 
sever giyen. It's okay to go to God with a lack of faith or unbelief or doubt. It's okay mm -hmm. to say to God, I don't have the faith for that, mm -hmm. but I want to. Help me with it, right? Help my unbelief. Yes, yes, yes. But what's not okay is to reduce God to fit your belief system. To Man. say, because I don't believe that, he can't, <laughs> or he won't, or he doesn't. Go to, his, go to him with what you have. That's the full meal deal. That's the fried chicken, the greens, the mashed potatoes with the gravy. That's all. That's the full meal deal. Don't reduce him to our lack of faith. Wow. That's a good word, Kathy. Holy Spirit dropped it right in there. There you go. So um, when I met you early on, so going back to Tim Rost, you know, Tim's gift is in relationships. Yeah. He's a connector. Like that dude is a connector of people. It's wild that you just said connector. Cause I, I mean, that's, that is his gift. I mean, yes, he's a gifted landscaper. He can see things that don't exist yet and create beautiful spaces. He's an incredible husband, father, you know, all of those things. But, in the spiritual realm, in the church, he is a connector of people. Mm -hmm. Like you talk about relationships and God working through relationships. Um, that dude, that dude is gifted in connection. Um, so anyway, when, when I met you, I had heard about you long before I met you and, uh, all good. Um, a lot of stuff. And, Tim, there's only really been a few people over the years that Tim's like, you have to meet this person. Like, I cannot wait for you and this person to meet. Uh, Brandon Freebie is one of those that Tim just stayed on me until he made sure that we connected. Uh, you have been one of those, were one of those people. But when I met you, the thing to me that was most fascinating about you is you were part of this street team. You were part of this crew that, and you can correct me if I'm remembering this wrong. I've been hit in the head too many times in my <laughs> life. And so my memory is like weird. But the way that I remember it is there was this group of you who would go to the city, like you'd go to Kansas City or St. Louis, and just kind of walk the streets looking for people to pray over and discerning maybe if the Lord was giving you a word for somebody. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, there, um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a team that we used to do a lot of that with. We had some a prayer ministry opportunities, um, and had some really beautiful experiences. There's yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Are, are there any stories from that that you can share? Oh my goodness, Ben. Yeah. There was one time where I was, um, I wish I could remember her name. She was amazing. Um, very outspoken woman, very um, confident on the streets, which is good because I wasn't so much. And so partnering with her was beautiful. But we walked out and we saw this young African-American woman walking along the sidewalk with her little boy. And so we walked right up to her and asked her, you know, tell us a little bit about your story. What's going on? Um, would you like us to pray for you? And she said, yes, absolutely. Um, I played with her little boy a little bit to kind of keep him occupied. He was maybe three um, and she was starting over. She was um, couch surfing with her little boy, trying to find a place to live. 
She wanted mm -hmm. to be a teacher. She was trying to get back in school. She didn't have a car. I mean, just had been through a whole bunch of struggles. And so we prayed with her. And, um, it, you know, it was a very nice prayer. But what I'll never forget was she turned around as we were walking away. She turned around and she, she stopped us one more time. And she said, you won't forget me, will you? And I said, no, mm. <laughs> absolutely not. I will never forget you, not not forget this experience because people are so hungry for somebody to notice. Mm -hmm. I remember another time we were praying outside of a soup kitchen and um, there was a gentleman out there that had this beat up uh, violin case, duct tape on it and bungee cords wrapped around it. It had been beat up and I looked at it and I looked at him and uh, I said, is that yours? And he said, yes, ma'am. And I said, do you play? And he said, yes. And he said, would you like me to? And I said, yes, I would. And he got it out. And I'm telling you, Ben, he played the most beautiful music. I was just the talent, dirty, straggly, you know, unkempt, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, didn't smell mm -hmm. real good. The music that he could pull out of that violin was incredible. But he made wow. the comment to me. He said, he was shocked that I was a pastor because I had sandals on. This is funny, but I wore a toe ring. And he's like, you wear a toe ring? He was shocked at this guy. You can't be. Anyway, but he made the comment to me. He said, people in church don't want me. Ooh. They don't want me in church. Mm. And I and I tried to talk to him. I'm like, okay, so that's like saying that sick people aren't allowed in hospitals. That's why we go is because we're all. And he's like, no, they don't want me in church. Oh, man. There was another time I was down on a trail and there was a, a homeless man sleeping on a park bench. And I felt very convicted and I went and I went and I bought him some breakfast. And then I thought, no, I'm going to go get this man a Bible. And I think it was it was less about getting this man a Bible than about the exercise of trying to find one. Because here I am downtown where there's churches all over, big, beautiful mm -hmm. churches that have been there for a long time. Mm -hmm. All of them were locked. I couldn't get in. I'm peeking in windows, knocking on doors, trying to see if there's anybody in there to get somebody's attention. Finally walked into one church, asked them if I could have a Bible to take to a homeless man. They said, well, no, those are pew Bibles. We don't think we have anything. Wouldn't give me one. Okay. Finally went down to the last church. I think it was the fourth church I walked into. And they said, yes, you hang on. I'll find you something and found one for me. Mm. And I took it back and took him and I put some money in it for him and took him lunch. He was still sleeping in his sleeping bag. And I just said it there. I didn't want to disturb him. But then I got to thinking. God is showing me something through that exercise. There are so mm -hmm. many people on the outside looking in and the mm -hmm. doors are locked to them. I mean, mm -hmm. just to hands, it was a pew Bible for crying out loud. You and I both know how often those get opened. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, once somebody told me one time we were talking about when I had my consulting business, it's easy to make assumptions about people, um, but that can be really dangerous. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. My moment like that, you were talking about the guy with the violin, Gabe, who was on, I don't know what episode, but one of these episodes, my friend Gabe came on, I think four, 
if I just if I just got that right, I'm going to be impressed with myself, <laughs> which doesn't happen often. But I think Gabe was like episode four or something, and um, we met Gabe doing street ministry. Gabe Gabe is the one that introduced us to doing street ministry downtown Atlanta, and and um, which for me was exhilarating. Um, it was um, extremely uncomfortable, right? And um, and equally as formational. Would you think that discomfort and formation often go hand in hand? Oh, hundred percent. Yes. Uh, spiritually, I mean, when we when we get to this place where we're uncomfortable and inconvenienced, typically those things parallel spiritual formation. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think so too. That's been my lived experience, but, um, but this was that aha moment, and um, I'm going to try really hard right here not to nerd out. But so Brennan Manning is my favorite. I mean, he's my favorite author, and um, the Lord has done a lot in my heart through Brennan's writing and um, old grainy videos from like the '70s and '80s. I've been able to find and. Um, but but Brennan does this talk about the about compassion and compassion is this Greek word splagnesimai, which is literally a gut twist. And so as a person that comes from an equine background, um, uh, beyond colic, you know, when these horses get these twists in their gut, uh, that's a that's a big deal. I mean, oftentimes a horse horse has to be put down. And so I remember reading before we went to Atlanta to serve alongside Gabe. I remember reading somewhere in Brennan's work about compassion is not pity. Compassion is this gut wrenching ache. Um, and, and, and I remember thinking I've never felt that. I don't think I've ever felt that when dealing with another person, I have felt, pity um i have felt um i felt a lot of things but i don't know if i felt like this gut-wrenching like we do with our kiddos or we do with you know our spouses or when it's intimate and um uh what brennan had written was when we begin to see glimpses of ourselves in another is when we cross this threshold from pity or feeling sorry for a person to to this splagnesimai, this this gut wrenching compassion. So I had read that. Fast forward a month or two, I don't know, and I'm sitting on this park bench. We're doing this work with Gabe. We've got our college and career age ministry there. We're downtown in a place oddly enough called Hurt Park, uh, which was named after some rich people, some family or something. Um, but I'm sitting on this bench, and there is this uh, beautiful African-American man. I would bet he's in his late 60s, early 70s, um, round face, these same kind of cheeks, these, these you know, kind of bulbous cheeks, and um, just the structure, the bone structure of his face, uh, his his composition and the way he was put together 
he, I sit down, he sits down, whatever we start talking. I don't really think much about it. We get a, a, a few minutes into this conversation and out of nowhere, I realize this dude looks like my dad. And this was the first year we were at M25. And for the first time in my life, I, I was, uh, wow. I would have been like 34 years old, 35 years old, maybe. I don't know. And for the first time in my life, I felt in that moment, like when I had that moment and I thought, gosh, this dude looks like my dad. He really does look like my dad, my earthly father. The, and, and, and my gut twisted. And I felt what I had read about before. Um, and became familiar with that feeling. Um, and everything changed on that bench. Like that dude was no longer a project for me. <laughs> right. That's good. like, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to figure yeah. out how to fill a need or, or, you know, patch a, a leaky hole. It was like, I was in. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's one of those things, once you experience that or feel that, you feel it more. You experience it more. You're, 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 when we see glimpses, there was another young man, um, his name was Sean. And uh, uh, Sean was sleeping on top of a cardboard box. He was, he was under, in Atlanta, what they call Spaghetti Junction. And mm -hmm. so it's where like I-75, I-85, I-20, and then the, like the 285 bypass, all these things on the north side of the perimeter come in together and it, they call it Spaghetti Junction. And there's just like, or maybe it's the south side of the perimeter. Anyway, there's, there are, it, it is an engineering feat. And so extreme. <laughs> yes, it literally is, man. Like, I have no idea who came up with this or how stoned they were when they drew it out. <laughs> but but it is Spaghetti Junction. and But beneath that, because of so many overpasses and all this stuff coming in, there is a lot of cover. And so beneath that, there's like these tent cities, uh, like, like yeah. um, neighborhoods, if you will. And... But there was this dude, Sean, and he was sleeping. He didn't have any cover, and he was sleeping right up against like this concrete partition. You know those. You know those concrete things that kind of come up at the bottom, and then they go up and they line them up in construction zones. Yep. yep. All right. He's sleeping against one of those. So however wide those are, I don't know, eight, ten, in, eight or ten inches. I don't know. The other side of that is I seventy five, I eighty five. Have you driven through Atlanta? Mm, yeah, it's crazy. Yes. And the only thing that is separating that dude from that traffic is this concrete thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so we're over here doing this work and kind of out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching this guy. Um, and so I went over and sat down, just kind of, I walked up and, um, you know, one thing we learned or Gabe taught us is when you approach somebody, don't ask them their name because they probably think you're a cop, mm -hmm. you know, so you just walk up and say, hey, I'm Ben. And if they offer their name, cool. And if not, cool. 
And so I walked up to him and said, hey, man, I'm Ben. And he said, Sean. I said, can I sit down? And he said, yeah, free, free country, you know. And so I plopped down and we began to talk and he tells me a story. I'm not going to go into his story. But he tells me a story, and there was a there was a, a sequence of events in his life that happened that are atrocious, and and it happened over the course of like three years, back to back to back to back, and he arrived at this place where all he could feel was hurt, and he didn't want to feel anymore, and so he started doing heroin to keep from feeling. Um, and in that moment, just like the dude on the park bench in Hurt Park, I remember looking at this guy and thinking, you know what, if I went through that and that and that and that back to back to back to back to back, this, I, I would be laying right here. Like if I went through that, I wouldn't want to feel anything either. You know, my point in that is there's a difference between pity or feeling sorry for a person and biblical compassion and doing street ministry like you're talking about or like some of the stuff that we've done. There is the discomfort. There is the inconvenience, but there is the spiritual growth. And, and when we begin to see parts and pieces of ourselves in others. Yeah. Thing, the game changes. Yeah. Everything changes. Yeah. I remember having this moment where I start, you know, you ask, you just listen to stories and you ask them to tell them a little bit about their story. And you start to realize exactly what you said. For me, it was this realization that, you know, if not for the grace of God, there go I. Yeah, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. mean, a yeah. few decisions or a few key life events away from maybe making yeah. those exact same situations happen. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one time we were praying with a homeless woman and she was um, afraid. She just found out she was pregnant. And um, at the end of the thing, at the end of the, the prayer session, she asked to pray over me. Wow. Like you got... <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It is. And it was, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Bawled, I bawled through the whole thing. It was so humbling. Yeah. There, yeah. Did you find in street ministry that the people that you were going to were better versed, more well versed than you? In scripture? Yeah. Sometimes. I found that more times than not. And as I unpacked that, like, so we would go and serve for a week or whatever, and then we'd go home. And I would sit and kind of unpack that and process. And what I realized is they are fully dependent. You remember earlier just in this conversation where we were talking about you get to that place and you're like, you know, Jesus, I, I, I tell people this all the time. I preach this. I teach this. I read this. I whatever. But I need you mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that we were loving and serving who live on the fringes there, I need you now is every day. Yeah. For survival. Like, yeah. Like those promises in the text, the truths in the text, it literally is every day. And there were times I would sit down with um, guys and girls who were living on the fringes. And when they found out that we were with a church group, they wanted to talk shop. Like they wanted to talk text. Mm -hmm. And, and I would, we would. And I mean, so well versed, so well read 
making connections from, I mean, blow my mind kind of dots connecting, you know, but it was because there was a need. Yeah. Right. It was hung. <clears throat> they were hungry. Yeah. Because I think, you know, um, my friend Byron and I talk about that. His, he, you know, he's been leaning into this, just this phrase that he heard and it's just come hungry. And I think sometimes we don't go to God hungry, you know, mm-hmm. hungry mm-hmm. for more of him. I mean, I mean, hungry, I mean, mm-hmm. desperately hungry. He will mm-hmm. always feed the ones who come to him hungry. Yeah. 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 So what role do you think? So with Simplify Project specifically, we're about cultivating authentic community, right? So what role, in your opinion, does authentic community, authenticity and relationship play in that work? that coming hungry, that, that, um, those next steps, the discomfort, the inconvenience, the spiritual formation, the willing to be stretched, the going to, uh, the least of these and make no mistake. Sometimes the least of these drive really nice cars and wear really, really nice clothes. Yes. Um, what what role do you think that authenticity in community and in relationship plays in that? Wow, Ben, it's crucial. I mean, I wouldn't be doing any of what I'm doing, would it not, for the relationships with you and with, you know, the other people who have who see something in me in those times when I don't see it in myself. I mean, mm-hmm. we need God with skin on every now and then to speak into us or to hear what he says for us or to, you know, to speak that life into us. Because man, when you say yes to God doing some of the things that he gets you into doing, you know, you almost, you you ruin yourself for anything else that the world has to offer, but you also don't really fit into any group that easily anymore. Oh man. Yeah. You know? yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We talked about this yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. You you want to go there? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, why not? If it'll help, yeah. but you you don't. You just don't. I remember um, the man who ordained me, a man who is the wisest man I've ever met in my life, a mm-hmm. man um, that I know is Apostle Freeman. I would sit at his feet and learn anything he taught me. Um, I went to him one day. You know, you know, everybody's got to have that person when you're not feeling very adult at all, and the world's falling around. You need somebody who's more of an adult than you are. Yeah, he's that guy for me, right? So, yeah, I went to him um, and was having a lot of trouble and some stress, and and I made the comment I think I had to have that I just don't feel like I fit in anymore. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he goes, "Yeah, isn't that wonderful?" What are you no. talking about? No, no it's yeah. not. It's no. really not. Is no. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But his point was God needs people who are willing to be on the periphery, you know. Yeah. And Aaron and I've talked about that because we talk about all the time about, okay, God, is it time to get somebody else to do this? Because I'm stressed yeah. and I want to sleep in on a Sunday once in a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Aaron made the comment. He says, yeah, but can you just ever imagine yourself not saying yes to God? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, if he asked me to do it, I would. I would do. Yeah. Yeah. I need you to go talk to that person. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but that's altogether different than the absence of community. Like saying yes or no to God, I guess it could parallel it or tie in, but, you know, and this is a little of what we were talking about yesterday, which I think is so good and could be a gift to so many. Um, so, so like in our, in our story, we left middle Georgia where we had deep, deep community, um, where we had people that we had journeyed with through so much and the vulnerability and the wins and the losses and the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs and in and through it all, there was, um, consistency and faithfulness and that's community um and then you and then you're a foreigner in a foreign land yeah yeah um and and attempting to recreate or re not recreate that's a terrible choice of words but to build community not necessarily to recreate what was there, but to establish new community. And yesterday, our conversation was specifically as as clergy persons, as people who are in vocational ministry, how hard that is um, and how deeply we desire that. Um, you want to talk about that a little? Yeah, Um you know, that's always been a struggle, I think, of mine, a heart cry for God is to have those deep relationships that mm -hmm. um, you're just naturally comfortable around, you know, your tribe, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and, and when you do the kinds of things you, that we do and you believe God for the things that we believe God for and you see the things that we've seen and you experience the things that we've experienced it's it narrows it down to a pretty small group of people sometimes it feels like that anyway mm -hmm. that you're okay with being yourself around mm -hmm. you know if you're a leader you're always a little bit on guard you know i mean mm -hmm. leaders don't necessarily go drinking with their friend, you know, the troops, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's different to a degree. There's relationship there for sure, but you're always the pastor. It's always a little mm -hmm. bit different yeah. and maybe it should be, but then where do you find that place where you can be vulnerable? Mm-hmm. Outside of other pastors. So like I will yeah. say, legal disclaimer, you and Brandon Freebie here yeah. for me have been invaluable. I mean, we were friends before I moved here, but um but even but outside of, of other clergy persons, just to be normal, just yeah. to be regular, normal. Yeah. Um, just to be a person. Yeah. Uh um yeah, that uh, and and I think that's a great point um, for your flock, for those that you are responsible 
to protect and provide and 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 grow to feed um i get that but beyond that um to have to cultivate um this authenticity in relationship and and the vulnerability um is a is a gigantic piece so as a person who's bivocational on the secular side do you have that at all or or does the pastoral side the vocational ministry side override that or how is that does that yeah. factor in in any way or no no i is maybe i need lessons on simplify <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't, I don't, I hate that, but I don't have time for that. I mean, if anybody gotcha. is closest to me, it's my family. I mean, aside yeah. from like what you said with you and, and um, others in that pastoral role, Byron and mm-hmm. Ron and Roger, some other friends of mine. Um, mm-hmm. Who are amazing. My, maybe you know, we my should, family. Maybe at some point we should have some of them on. Oh, we should. That would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, though, and I don't, I don't have time. I, I just don't. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I, you work eight to five. It's more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, but eight to five, and then I'm at church mm-hmm. maybe three nights a week, and then Saturdays I'm up at the crack of dawn, or you know, well, well before working on Sunday, and then Sunday I'm mm-hmm. up well before working on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So there isn't downtime, and yeah. you know, my life is pretty regimented, and. um I just don't have that built in. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. That time. Mm-mm. And it takes intentionality. And I, so young adults, obviously, my background is in youth and young adult ministry. And the ones who were youth are now young adults. You talk about feeling old. I mean, um, to be able to go and do weddings and then go back and do um, baptisms of infants and de- baby dedications. What a gift. That's um, awesome. The flip side of that is you feel awful old. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but such a gift, all the relationship in that. But, um, you know, for the for the 30-somethings, for the late 20-somethings, the 30-somethings who have, um, you know, gone to college, gotten out of college, m- started their careers, gotten married, maybe maybe their careers or their marriages or their spouse's careers carry them to a new place. Um, as a mom of two girls that are in that demographic, mm-hmm. um, in your opinion, what is the importance of community of finding, finding your place, finding your tribe, where on the priority level should, um, faith, um, and community land in your opinion oh it's it's crucial i mean we we crave it i don't know any human being alive that doesn't crave community somewhere you want some place to fit in and to feel connected and to feel safe and to be yourself and to have that be okay you know your warts and all (laughs) and just have it be okay you know yeah 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 Uh, he's you're you know you're weird but i love you anyway i I get your weirdness and i'm okay with it it's fine we need more of that (laughs) you know you're a weirdo and i love you (laughs) it's exactly right you know maybe that'll be the next shirt (laughs) i like that 
if somebody happens to listen to this, I like, like that a all, lot. all three of you that actually listen to what we're doing, <laughs> if you would wear a shirt that says you're a weirdo and I love you, let me know. We'll print one. I love that. Yes. Yeah. But I've watched my girls kind of crave that. You know, you get out of college where you've got this built-in infrastructure of friends. It's, it's like it, community is, you know, you're walking into a pre-structured community. You're in with your classmates and you're usually in your dorms with people who are in the same kind of major that you're in. So there's built-in community. And then you get out in school and, man, my oldest daughter graduated during COVID. Oh, oh, she suffered. <laughs> as I'm sure everybody did during that time frame, because she didn't have the community. She was alone in a new house by herself. Um, didn't know anybody, couldn't get out to meet anybody. There was no churching. There was no, everything that I would have told her to go do to build community. It was shut down. She couldn't mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. So she learned to macrame. Wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's like literally. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, she would go check out books and and work on these projects by herself. I mean, she. Wow. But that's so hard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And they crave and there's that. an entire there's an entire generation there's an entire demographic of people who will hear this that experience that mm -hmm. that graduated in twenty twenty in the spring of twenty twenty or yeah. twenty one or 22 yes that experience what caitlin experienced yes yeah so even on the back side of that the world opens up what's your coaching so you're a coach mm -hmm. by nature mm -hmm. um what do you how do you coach caitlin and on the back side of that the world opens back up what do you as a mom well, you know, what's funny about that, Ben, is now she's in a relationship with a very fine young man that she's met. And now I'm coaching her how to be in relationship because she's she spent all this time. She's an independent woman. She's yeah, oh, been yeah, by she herself yeah. for such a long yeah. time and yeah. she's done things on her own and she's lived by herself for a long time. And she takes care of all of her own stuff. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. he's there and she's like, this is weird. I'm like, no, this is <laughs> what it's supposed to be like. You've got to learn how to share your life with somebody. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> she's like mom he's with me all the time i'm like i know we did great and she's like oh uh. <laughs> so her normal has been altered yes yes her normal was alone in macrame <laughs> and now there's another person in her space bless her heart oh me she's incredible in every way though she called me the other night i think she was actually on the way to your house yeah traveling down to hunt some and spend some time with y'all and um she called me picked my brain about a couple things which made my you know me and our relationship it made my whole day uh that she was well you got to tell the story ben a couple weeks ago they were they came to babysit our dogs because aaron and i were off at a marriage retreat and yeah. the two of them got their heads together and decided they were going to go back out to locust grove for church that they grew up in yeah. that sunday morning and you yeah, didn't know it, it made, until they walked up I the communion did not, line. Man, and it, it made me cry. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So I had no clue because they were in the fellowship hall. You know, the church, praise God, has grown to the point that there's folks in the sanctuary and then now in the fellowship hall. And I can see out there, but just the way we're set up, I can't get close physically, you know, and, and, um, 
so I knew there were faces, there were bodies, there were people out there that I didn't like that weren't usually in that space, I guess is the best way to say that. And um, that morning, Darren and Aaron White were helping us serve communion. And Darren and Aaron stayed in the sanctuary. And Stacy and I kind of worked our way to that side, um, which typically is like the choir and the folks that sit in the alcove and then those who are in the fellowship hall. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, just steadily serving communion. And I try very intentionally to like be fully present, like to look into the eyes of people as they come through. And so I'm doing that. I, I don't look up the line, you know. And so, uh, yeah, so the when it dawned on me, literally, Megan is standing in front of me, dipping bread into the cup. And it's like, I look at her and I'm like, I know you. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like that moment. Yeah. And then I looked at her and I remember like looking and looking and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're here, you know? Uh, and so then I got emotional. I got teary and all the things. And I'm like, reel it in, Ben. Pull it back together. So, yeah, after the service, you know, and the, um, uh, what's that thing we do at the end? <laughs> the, the, the closing benediction. benediction. The benediction. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's called, the benediction. So after the benediction, you know, I kind of always go out and stand in this one place uh, in the fellowship hall, kind of out of the way. And uh, they came to me and I was like, you all got me. I, I, you got me good. Like you got me in my fields. I'm standing there trying to serve communion, you know, trying not to cry. So, yeah, that um, they got me good on that one. <laughs> Made my day, man. A lot of relationship there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, they said they walked in the church and it just, uh, just all the feels kind of hit them. Well, so. and earlier when you were telling the story from 08 or whenever that was of, of just sitting in those pews and weeping. Yeah. We hadn't been here long. I mean, you and I have been meeting on Monday since like the second week of we our family moved here. I mean, very, very early on. I, I talked to you if not daily, certainly every other day in the months before our move. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, very, very regular, you and Aaron were praying over us. And um, you remember that weird season, like Stacy was living here and me and the boys were there and yes. trying to prep the house to sell. And we didn't know if we were going to move here, like if we were going to be appointed to pastor this church. And, um what I'm getting at is I'm rambling a little bit, but the first time that we met for our Monday coffee at that time, we were meeting at the church. Yep. We weren't meeting in town. And when you came in those glass doors at the fellowship hall, you kind of came around that corner and you got emotional and walked, you know, through the fellowship hall into the sanctuary and began to cry, mm -hmm. you know, and, I was like, I haven't been in here in whatever, how many years. I don't remember what you said, but it had yeah. been years yeah. since you had been in that space. Yeah. And and to me, it didn't sound weird at all, but you said it, it looks the same. It smells the same. It feels the same, you know, and it's that, it's that going back to this place of encounter. Yes. Yes. 
you know, it's 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 going back to these places where Jesus met us. Um, it's been a long, it's been years now, whatever. I don't know how many years since I've been, you know, to my home church, which is Liberty Church in Macon. But I, every time I've been in there as a grown adult, going back there for fun, mostly for funerals, unfortunately, it's that same. Because you recall, you remember, God met me here. Mm-hmm. God spoke to me here. God revealed this about his nature to me here. Um, a lot of our students talk about the big room and the black room uh, in our student center. Yep. Uh, they talk about that. You know, they would go off to college and they would come home and then come into those spaces and have that rush of that that rush of emotion because God, they encountered God in those places. And you know what? I think that's probably what drives me more than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that going back to that, my people perish for lack of knowledge. I think I want people to have that experience. I want people to know him. Yeah. I want people to know that he's more, that he's real. You know, yeah, yeah. Not just know about him, <laughs> yes, but to know yes, him. Yes, yes. There's a difference. There's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. Yes, big time. Right. Yes. Yeah, and if that, if that isn't what gets you out of bed in the morning, what does? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's not what authentic community and relationship is centered and built on, what is? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I don't want you to know about him. I want you to know him. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time, um, this has been about a year or so ago that I was, um, we were going through, I don't remember what the series was we were teaching and and teaching on, on Sunday mornings. And I heard God say, get your own story. Not from the perspective of, I mean, God's not snarky. It wasn't like that. It was like, you know, we we read these stories in scripture and we feed off of them, but he was Mm -hmm. saying with great sense of compassion, get your own story, you know? Yeah. I want to write your, I want to write your story. You need to, yes, you can tell these stories and you can feed off of these and they have for centuries, but, but what keeps, what keeps it alive right now is your story. You have an encounter with God, press in until you get one, hold on to that. Don't let go of that. Be relentless for that because he's real. Yeah. Yeah. And, and will ruin you for ordinary life. (laughs) Yeah. And then you'll be a kook like us. <laughs> That's right. Welcome to the kook club. If you become a welcome, kook, you call us. We'll just form a club. <laughs> welcome to the kook club. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy, thank you. Um, I don't want to take much more of your time. This has been gold. Uh, this is one of those episodes that I'll go back and listen to and listen to and listen to. Um Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you are, uh, for your consistency in my life uh, and in the lives of so many. Uh, thank you thanks for, for being, being a my giver. friend, bro. Yeah. Thanks for being <laughs> a giver in a world of takers. Um, I appreciate you. Thanks for your time um, and for your wisdom uh, and vulnerability. Thank you. Yeah. Anytime. Love you, bro. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, All right. So I end every episode except for Gabe's with one question. um, And and that is, so the name of the podcast is the Keep It Simple Podcast. 
So Kathy Atkins, how do you keep it simple? My instinct is I don't know that I do. You look at my life story. Okay. That is that is guttural honesty. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. No, that's real. <laughs> I don't know if I keep it simple. It's when honest. You attempt, when you attempt to keep it simple, how do you do that? Mm. Calm center. Yeah. It's, I mean, it may be chaos out here, but it can't be chaos in here. Gotcha. It has to be a calm center because what I do depends on me hearing his voice. Amen. And if the chaos gets to the point where I can't do that, then I'm in trouble. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, sister. Love you. Talk to you later. We'll talk to you soon. I love you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye.